Sometimes I, I think I enjoy Thanksgiving more than Christmas. I enjoy the time with family. My, my brother and I were hunting together this year, and we were hunting in Wazika. Um, it's just on Highway 60 south of Sauk City, drive, travel the back along the river, beautiful setting. If you travel to Wazika, you can actually go 18, travel to Fenimore, and that's where my dad is from. And so we had an opportunity to travel down there a while back, and we were able to remember a little bit more of what it was like back in the 1960s, late 60s and 70s, as we would travel uh, Highway 18. It was a lot narrower, um, go up through Mount Horeb, Ridgeway, and Dodgeville's halfway, and then there's Montford and Cobb, and you know the route. And when you get to Fenimore, uh, just on the edge of town, there's a gas station on the right. There used to be a big white house. And uh, for years and years, we went to Thanksgiving dinner there at that place. Uh, it was my aunt's house, Aunt Viola. You remember um, um, Aunt Lova? She, or Grandma Lova was here at our church for years, Grandma Lova uh, and Viola had to play the violin and sing at weddings and so on. They were members of Mount Ida Baptist Church. Uh, Mount Ida is just a little bit south of, of Fenimore. And uh, you look back at those times. We had no idea what the future held. Uh, we would never, ever have thought that in 2020, you were told that you probably shouldn't get together for Thanksgiving. We never would have thought of something like that ever happening to our, our world and uh, a lot of speculation on why it's happening. And uh, I, I don't really necessarily think we need to dig too deep into why it is happening. I think we need to respond in a way that is wise, in a way that would be gracious, in a way that would be uplifting for the next generation. Because they are looking to us and our response to it all. I want to keep things as normal as possible. And uh, what a blessing it was to have the ladies sing uh, this morning. And uh, I want us to look at a psalm here, a section of it, and just kind of give us a little bit more of an understanding behind the psalm that this psalm, Psalm 69, was probably written during Absalom's rebellion. And this psalm uh, shifts from terrifying imprecations to a triumphant anticipations. And uh, it moves from passionate revenge to passionate rejoicing. It goes from the extreme suffering to extreme satisfaction. And a lot of David's psalms do that. When he sat down to write, it seemed like it was all dark and it was nighttime. And then by the end of his writing, it seemed like it was day and everything was just fine. And there was rejoicing and there was praising going on in his heart. And some say that this psalm basically describes the suffering of Jesus on the cross, that this is kind of how a little bit anyway of David felt like in the first verse. If you look at Psalm 69, verse number one, it, it talks about him, uh, save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. 
Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. I think this is somehow how the Lord Jesus Christ felt, but it was certainly how David felt, and maybe it was during the time of Absalom's rebellion and how he left and and went against his father and how it would have been okay if it was somebody else. It wouldn't have been not so bad, but it was his own son and dealing with the grief and the despair of it all. And some say that this psalm describes that like a leaky vessel that was filled, but now it's ready to sink. I remember a poem that I read years ago in the book by Sanders, The Incomparable Christ, says, I thirst, I thirst, the Savior cried. With burning lips before he died, cooling draught, he asked of those who mocking looked upon his throes. Angelic hosts from heaven's heights in sorrow gaze upon the sight, but yet the sky no water drips to cool the Savior's parched lips. A thousand fountains flowed that day, a river flowed, Not far away, but not one cup by friend or foe was brought to mitigate his woe. He suffered thirst on Calvary's hill that he our thirsty hearts might fill. To open wide a fount of grace for all who seek the Savior's face. Oh, come, come, we hear the Savior call. The invitation is for all. Come, all ye souls of thirst, come ye and drink of the living water free. I don't think we can actually dive too deep into grief and despair without understanding a little bit of what Jesus Christ went through and a little bit of what David felt in this psalm as he wrote it down. And maybe you keep a diary, I do not know, but maybe you have written down some of your feelings and maybe during this time of COVID you've felt in despair and you felt overcome by the dark side of things and You almost felt as if God is not going to help you and you have this sense that maybe things aren't going to get better. And I just want to tell you, just keep writing, dear friend, because things are going to get a little bit better day by day and you're going to see the sunshine again and the mountain's going to come again in your life if you just stay the course and remember, do not give up during those dark times and remember that things grow a lot in the valley A lot of times during the valley is when God meets with us in a great special way. And there is not any evidence that guilt plays in part to the suffering, but that it is an outward calamity. And grief seems to work on the inside, but it really works on the outside also. And Satan can use that outward calamity to produce inward despair. And sometimes he can use this particular thing in this world, and I believe he is. I believe Satan is using COVID to cause a lot of people to shy away from what they know they need to do, but also shy away from people who they love and they care for. And I think it's important for us to remember that we have victory in Jesus Christ, and we need not to be despair. We need not to be in defeat. We have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he he has conquered the cross, and he has conquered death, and so why would we ever be afraid? Why would we ever fear? I think it's important for us to remember that no matter how difficult things get, God is there for us, and he will be there for us. How does this psalm move so quickly from the negative to the positive, and how can I do that? Uh, 
how, what can I learn from this psalm in this small section of it, verses number 29 to the end of it, verse 36, and, and how can I use this psalm to encourage my soul, and how can I apply it to my life? In verse number 29, again, it says, but I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me upon high, up on high. I think it's important for us to understand, first of all, And there's just three points, and I'll be all done. Number one, there needs to be an inward, humble acknowledgement concerning your condition. We say that again. There needs to be an inward, humble acknowledgement concerning your condition. You see, God likes it when we admit what's going on in our lives. I think it's important for us to remember what Spurgeon said concerning this particular verse. Let me read it to you. He writes, The psalmist was afflicted very much, but his faith was in God. The poor in spirit and mourners are both blessed under the gospel, so that here is a double reason for the Lord to smile upon the suppliant or the person receiving it. No man was ever poorer or more sorrowful than Jesus of Nazareth, yet his cry out of the depths was heard. and He was uplifted to the highest glory, and let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. How fully has this been answered in our great master's case, for he not only escaped his foes personally, But he has become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And this continues to glorify him more and more. And O ye poor and sorrowful ones, lift up your heads. For as with your Lord, so shall it be with you. You are trodden down today as a mire in the streets, perhaps. But you shall ride upon the high places of the earth ere long. And even now you are raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. I think it's important for us to, like Spurgeon, understand that maybe we are going through difficult things. And maybe we feel like we've been trodden down. But we will be lifted up again and we will go to higher ground. I think we have. Remember also that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes we have difficulties and despairs and, and sometimes even delusions that allow us, to, allow us to, to be humbled somewhat so that we could actually be in agreement with God that we are really nothing special. We have a lot of pride in our lives and we have a lot of things that God needs to kind of adjust. And sometimes he allows us to go through despair. And sometimes he allows individuals to go through it. And sometimes families to go through it. And sometimes churches to go through it. And sometimes states to go through it. But sometimes countries to go through it. Because America is great, but only if they glorify God. And America is not going to be great until it glorifies God. You make America great again, you can wear a hat every single day that says make it great again. Unless you glorify the king of kings, it will never be great again. I think it's important for us to remember that in order to be blessed, we must first come to the place where we are aware of our condition and acknowledge it. In order to be lifted up, we must first admit our lowliness. I am troubled. I am humbled. Dear God, come, because I am weak, but thou art strong. And this is really should be a desire that we have to capture his attention. 
And he hears our prayer. I am poor, the psalmist says, and sorrowful. Literally, I am laid low and full of pain or grief. Hence the prayer, let thy salvation, O God, set me on high. My oppression has laid me low, but thy salvation can make me high. I think it's important for us to know where to go when we're struggling. We know that God will give us the strength. And when it talks about on high in verse number 21, it's talking about out of the reach of my enemies that you would place me in a place where you lift me up and bring me up out of that miry clay. I love hymns. And the older I get, I love them even more. I think Higher Ground is one of the most beautiful hymns. Um, I just want to read the verses to you, and then I'll read the chorus at the end. But listen to what this particular person wrote. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. The second verse goes, my heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught that joyful sound, the songs of saints on higher ground. I want to scale to the utmost height and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I pray till rest I found, Lord Lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's table land, a higher plane that I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And sometimes we never can reach higher ground until we admit how weak and how lowly we really are. And when we come to that place where we have been laden down, perhaps by God's desire for us to go through a a deep, difficult trouble, is when we can actually be raised up to higher ground. A humiliation that precedes exaltation, and that's absolutely necessary. Uh, No one likes to be humbled. I, I don't like it when I make mistakes, but we make mistakes, and, and we should not shy away from humility. And sometimes when we're, we are humiliated, we don't like it, but it's absolutely necessary for us to be exalted. I was talking to one of the men, Brother, Brother William was talking in our Sunday school class this morning on how difficult things may get and how troublesome they may get for just a little while, but it seems like God is going to do something great. You know, you have to wait just a little bit. And I don't know if you've ever been through trial upon trial upon trial, but sometimes it just seems like everything caves in at once sometimes. And if you can remember what it was like back then, remember that also you came through it and you're doing okay, you're breathing today. You're able to go to Culver's afterwards because of making it through some other difficult time in your life. We went through the issues of church with the COVID thing, and, and uh, the buck stops with me uh, as the pastor. And so I understand that. There's the blessed burden of pastoring a church, especially of this size, and, and this many people, and all the difficulties with perhaps people believing this and believing that and making the decisions, you know, and all of that pressure, and then the COVID hits, and then my wife gets sick, and then I've got issues where I can't move my legs sometimes, and all of this coming at once. And then the sewer backs up. 
into our room that we have all of our possessions that we don't have the seasonal things. You know what I mean? We put them in one room, and they're all on the floor. There are shelvings in there, but they're full of different things. We have no garage, and so we use the furnace room kind of like that, you know. It goes up, and then it kind of soaks everything in there, but it also goes into my wife's craft room and destroys all of her craft stuff. Then it goes into the hallway, into the apartment. And we have renters that need to go away for just a little bit till we get it cleaned up. And my wife, bless her heart, she's just getting over COVID. She starts picking up stuff. And then she just said, let's just call the insurance company. And they have people that take care of this stuff. They brought in a dumpster. And my son, Caleb, knows of some people and Josh with their company. And so they came in. Uh, these guys did, did a great job of cleaning it all out. Fill the dumpster up. <laughs> I'm kind of glad about that a little bit. (laughs) Sorry, Tammy. But some of those things were valuable and so on, but they're gone. And uh, you say, how can it get any worse? It can get worse, you know. But it didn't. In fact, all things work together for good. We get new carpeting downstairs. You know, after 16 years, it started to wear a little bit. We're going to get a little room, a little workbench for Dad now, so I have a little workbench, not have a garage, so I can have workbench down there. I'm thinking about this, that we can actually expand the, the apartment a little bit, give them more space down there. And What I'm trying to tell you is that when everything seems to be full of darkness, just wait a little while, because all things are going to work together for the good. And Grace Baptist Church, don't lose your vision and don't quit. In fact, go home and remove that word from your dictionary. Never, never quit. Quitters never win. I think it's important for us to know that God desires for his people to go through times of humiliation, to go through times of sorrow, to go through times of grief, but he will then give you higher ground if you just wait on God. He has been so faithful all of these years that your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-grandparents have been through so many difficult things, even worse than this. But yet God helped them through. And he'll help us through. But help us to get to the place where we know that we are going to be given the strength and reach higher ground, but there is humiliation always precedes exaltation. He says, I am poor, I'm deeply poor and sorrowful. And then I confess it, I am poor. The exaltation that comes from humiliation, it is divine, really from above. Thy salvation, O Lord, thou, Lord, is my salvation. God does give us what we need. He completes us and he helps us. And he doesn't do anything halfway. He does it fully. And he's going to work it all out. You just got to wait and be patient upon him. And I think patience is probably one of the hardest things to learn. I think contentment is a hard thing to learn. But, you know, even Paul said, I've learned to be content. So it's something that God can teach us. But remember that you, he's got you on his mind and he will place you upon higher ground. And so we have an understanding, first of all, that there needs to be an inward humble acknowledging 
and an acknowledgement concerning your condition. Then secondly, I want you to look at verse number 30, if you would, with me. Verse number 30 reads this way, I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. You know how they used to do it a lot of times in the Psalms? They used to raise their hands up toward heaven and open their hands toward God and praise God that way. And maybe you've seen somebody sing that way. Maybe you've seen somebody pray that way, where they open their hands. And what does that mean? That means that they fully give God everything, that their hands are open to Him, no matter, not just the possessions in life, but also the difficulties that have come their way. So the second thing, there needs to be an outward hopeful acknowledgement concerning God's name. And he says that here in verse number 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I want to read from Spurgeon again a little bit. I will praise the name of God with a song. He who sang after the Passover sings yet more joyously after the resurrection and ascension. Does Jesus sing? He sure does. He sang at that time before he went to the garden. He sang with his disciples. He sang, and I'm certain that he sang on his way back to heaven as he went back and was seated upon his throne. I'm, I'm sure he sang after the resurrection and ascension. And he is in very truth, sweet singer of Israel. He leads the eternal melodies, and all his saints join in chorus and will magnify him with thanksgiving. And how sure was our Redeemer, to, uh, of ultimate victory, since he vows a song even while yet in the furnace. And in us also faith foresees the happy issues of all affliction and makes us even now begin the music of gratitude which shall go on forever increasing in volume in the world without end. What clear shining after the rain we have in this and succeeding verses. The darkness is past, and the glory, the glory light shines forth as the sun, and all the honor is rendered unto him to whom all the prayer was presented. He alone could deliver and did deliver, and therefore to him only should be praise. That's why we have Thanksgiving. We don't have Thanksgiving just to get together and watch football and, and lay on the couch and eat a little bit more. I think it's important for us to know that we came together to thank the God of heaven. That's why we have a pie social, so that we would thank the God of heaven for how good he's been to us. That's why it's important that when we gather together the family, before we indulge, we ought to hold hands and we ought to sing unto our God and we ought to praise him and give him glory because he is a wonderful God and he's been wonderful for us and to us. Through all of this, we can thank him that we've been born and raised in America. I think it's important for us to go back and remember how wonderful our Lord is, not just singing inwardly, but also singing outwardly. Now, I don't sing very well, and you know that, but I love it when I'm in the shower because nobody really can hear me. Or when I'm in my truck and running home from church or trying to get some stuff done somewhere else, and I'm singing in the truck when nobody else can... I think they would rather have me wear a mask all the time, and so I can't sing as loud. The effect of deliverance upon God's people, it fills them with praise and thanksgiving. The effect in relation to God, he is more pleased with us, with an offering. 
I think that's interesting. Look at verse number 31. He says, this also shall please the Lord better than an ox or, or bullock that hath horns and hooves. We think, well, the Lord would be happy if we were to sacrifice an animal. No, he'd be happy if we would just praise him and give him glory. That pleases our God. Say, how do I please God? With your faith, of course, but your faith and your praise toward him. Every chance you get, you need to say, I thank God for this, or I praise God for this. It just changes the atmosphere. Exodus 34 Verses 5 through 8 remind me of this. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And so there is power and there is praise in his name. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped him. And Amos chapter 5, verse number 8, and also in chapter 9, verse number 6, it said, says the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is his name. Psalm 11, verse number 9, holy and reverend is his name. Luke 1, verse number 49, holy is his name. Isaiah 9, 6, his name is wonderful. That word in the Hebrew means incomprehensible. That's his name. You can't Replace his name. Jehovah, Jesus, is over all. It's important when we think about it because Isaiah and Jeremiah both nine times say the Lord of hosts is his name. Isaiah 54, verse number five says the Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel and the God of the whole earth shall he be called. Jeremiah 23, six. Then this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. In Jeremiah 32, 17 and 19, it says the great the mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. I think it's important for God's people to praise him. We used to do it all the time when I was younger in a church. I remember singing this song. His name is wonderful. It goes like this. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He is my mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He's the great shepherd. The rock of all ages, almighty God, is he bowed down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus my. Was that hard or was that painful for you? Painful to listen to me, I suppose. 
But isn't that a wonderful song? His name is wonderful. And when we praise him, it pleases him. Say, well, I want to please God, and I'm not, just, I'm not too smart. Why don't you just praise him? You'll please him that way. Why don't you step out in faith and do something for him during COVID? Surrender to missions? Yes, that would please him even more that you would do it during this time, that you would continue to do what he asked you to do, that you'd stay the course and keep your eyes on the prize in the skies and do what God wants you to do, dear friend. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And in closing, there needs to be an upward open hand Acknowledgement concerning God's goodness. And I mentioned already that they would open up their hands. Hands in extension toward God is basically saying it's a vow of adoration to him. Specifically, when choirs would worship him and confess toward him and give thanks to him to raise their hands would be absolutely essential. And it's good because God desires for us to give him all in all. This is saying, I give you everything, Lord. I'm hiding nothing from you. And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, man, I just need to be refreshed from above. I need to be thankful for what God has given me. I want to read to you a story I read Wednesday night and just kind of remind us a little bit more of Thanksgiving. And I know it's past, but I want to read this to you again. I, I had it in my, in my Bible, uh, pages of it, but I Cut it and insert it here. I want, I want to read it to you. I think it's important for us to go back in time a little bit in closing and use this for an illustration on why we need to be thankful to God. Besides symbolizing a time when, we, when many of us gather to feast on turkey and cranberry sauce and apple pie, what does Thanksgiving truly mean? America's revered holiday was founded by a group of struggling pilgrims. During the fall of 1621, that was Thanksgiving, but they arrived 400 years ago this last September. It's been a long time. Peter Marshall and David Manuel's account wrote this. They said, the light and the glory tells how the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock endured extreme hardship to pioneer a new land. Three long months at sea aboard the Mayflower and brutal winter left them ragged, malnourished, and susceptible to disease. And during the first hour, or during the first four months of that year, nearly half of the immigrants, basically, had succumbed to illness and died under the harsh strain of the barren lifestyle. The pilgrims' daily existence was a life or death battle to overcome constant sickness, constant hunger, constant exposure to elements if they just would have wore a mask, right? I had to put that in there. Crudely assembled houses made a, a mud, mud daub. They were shelters from the icy New England weathers. And because they were not yet knowledgeable about their environments, agriculture, planting, the gardens, and hostile conditions were virtually fruitless. And every meal was poor proportioned then meticulously. The death toll, a constant reminder of the really the fragileness of man, and it rose steadily, by the way. And at one point, five men, only five men, were able to take care of all the sick. 
Despite of their tribulations, the pilgrims thank the Lord every single day, petitioning for him and to him for re- rehabilitation. And one morning during an ordinary Sunday worship service, when they gathered, the Lord sent tangible evidence that he had heard their prayers. And their church service was interrupted by an unexpected guest. It was an Indian chief who assessed their hopeless situation. Then he returned and he came back with Squanto the pilgrims who have warred with Indians before and lived in a continual fear of them being attacked by them were astonished by their new friends and eagerness to provide much-needed assistance. In fact, Squanto, who spoke perfect English, taught the pilgrims how to hunt game and trap beaver and plant Indian corn, a staple that would eventually save their lives. And when the harvest yielded more than the pilgrims could eat... Governor William Bradford, their elect leader, declared a day of public thanksgiving. He invited the chief of the friendly neighboring Indian tribe to join their tribute of thanksgiving. And the pilgrims were excited to celebrate with their honored guests, but they completely were in shock when 90 of them came. And although God provided an abundance of food, their food supply would not accommodate that many people. And they had no idea how to feed their visitors. And despite their quandary, all worries were soon dismissed because they noticed, to their amazement, an increasing thankfulness that the Indians had brought five dressed deer and 12 wild turkeys. And over time, they taught the women how to make pudding and maple syrup and the delicacies of that popcorn. But the pilgrims and their trials were far from finished Their plentiful autumn was followed by a particular treacherous winter, and unfortunately the weather proved to be the least of their ailments. In November, a ship called the Fortune dropped off off their anchor in the harbor, and aboard the ship was 35 more colonists who needed to be fed. But there was no provision. They brought none with them, no extra clothing, no equipment for survival, Additionally, the oppression of the physical environment had become almost unbearable after a 12-week drought of dried up their crops and withered their spirits. The newcomers arrived, had drained already inadequate food rations that there was no obvious resource for sustenance. And at their lowest point, the pilgrims were reduced, each one, to a daily ration of five kernels of corn apiece. In utter desperation, they fell to their knees and they prayed. And many of them prayed eight hours without ceasing. And again, God heard their supplication and 14 days of rain followed. And then the second Thanksgiving was declared. The neighboring Indian chief then again came as their honored guest. And this time he brought 120 braves and the pilgrims feasted on game and turkey. And as they, during the previous celebration, only this time one dish was different. The first course was served on an empty plate in front of each person. And it was consisted of five kernels of corn. A gentle reminder of God's faithful provision for them. The pilgrims' humble response to their affliction is evidence by their many writings which express deep thankfulness to God in their hearts. We can learn countless lessons and be thankful for our God and how he provides for us 
God commands us to live a life of gratitude. He says in the New Testament, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God according to Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And I think it's important for us just to close the service today to remember how good God has been to those simple, humble people in the beginning of America. And now look at us. God has supplied every bit of the way. And by the way, he will not let America go. He has, he has bought us with a price. By the way, friend, every born-again Christian ought to be thanking God for what God has given them and be praying. And maybe it would take eight hours of prayer. Maybe it would take eight hours of praying without ceasing. And then God would hear our prayer again. And then give us America for four more years, maybe for eight more years. It's in God's hands, isn't it? If you don't learn anything from this message, I hope you learn this, that God is pleased with our praise. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every single person in this room has reason to praise God. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and your trust in the simplicity of Christ. You've been trying to do it on your own. You've been thinking perhaps of if I be good enough, if I be religious enough, that I then can be saved. Dear friend, salvation is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's how we're saved. And and many of, of you have already been saved. So then we ought to be thankful because someday we're going to be with the Lord in heaven. And we'll all be there together with him and rejoicing with him. But until then, God desires for us to continue to praise and be thankful for what he's given us. What a blessing to be able to be in America. But maybe God has spoken to your heart through this season. You say, Pastor, I I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know him. I love him. But I need your prayers. I'm struggling with my relationship with God. Is there anyone like that? This morning, just raise your hand, put it back down. Again, I won't point you out. Anyone, thank you. Anybody else with these? You can put your hands down. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know Jesus Christ. But I would would love to know him. I would love to have a relationship with him. I want to receive Jesus Christ today. Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. I won't point, point you out or embarrass you. If God has spoken to you, then come. This invitation is for you. Would you just stand where you are, folks? Just stand with your eyes closed. We're going to have an invitation. And if you need to come this morning, whatever the need is, you come. I'm going to pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, the piano will begin. And so will the invitation. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen.